The Down Below podcast was our last best hope to analyse. A self-contained podcast, who knows how long, located between your ears. A place of discussion and fun for newcomers and veterans alike. A shining download online, all alone on the web. It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, the year the Introcast Wars came upon us all. This is the story of the Babylon 5 Introcast. The year is 2014. The show, Down Below. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. Hi, man. I'm Heidi. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Nick Joss. Hi, Nick Joss. Great to have you back. Are now bug free. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited. Um, I'm hoping to be able to guest at least once a season. Yay! Yeah, that- Thanks for stepping in this episode. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was originally supposed to do another episode, but I think it was Malika had a party this, like, last night, so she was uh-huh. like, somebody swap? Yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't get hung over Malika, but <laughs> glad to have you. Well, she's, she still can be on, though. Like, she's taking mine, so yeah. it's mm-hmm. working. Everyone. Today, we are here to discuss episode 11 of season 2, All Alone in the Night. But first, here's an ISN special report. A ship belonging to a race known as the Stribe was destroyed today after it was found that the ship had captured multiple hostages of different races over an unknown period of time. Unfortunately, there were only two survivors, as the Stribe ship spaced the remaining hostages during a space battle with Earth Force. One of the survivors, Commander Jeffrey Sinclair of Babylon 5, was captured after volunteering to investigate suspicious activity in Sector... Wait, excuse me. I am being told that the survivor was Captain John Sheridan, not Commander Jeffrey Sinclair. It was Captain Sheridan that volunteered to investigate the suspicious activity. Reports indicate that Minbari Ambassador Delenn provided key information that enabled Earth Force to intercept the Stribe ship. In sports news, the Dodgers destroyed the Mars team in the playoffs due mainly to the Mars players' relative inexperience with Earth's greater gravitational pull. The embarrassing loss has renewed calls for the Mars team to construct a simulated gravity dome. This has been your ISN special report. Go Dodgers! We are Clone Dance Party, an orphan black introcast. There was so many questions that weren't answered that I was like, well, but I have to know. Vic doesn't seem that smart. I don't know what Sarah was doing with him. That's a real testament to the actors because I really feel like they're different people. So she's really doing a good job. I totally agree with that. I forget that they're the same person. I am totally unobjective about Allison. I love that character to death. She became my least favorite clone. Clone Dance Party in iTunes, on Facebook, and on Twitter. I want to also thank the people at FreeBabylon5.com for offering to list us on their website in the podcast section. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All Alone in the Night originally aired on February 15, 1995. It was written, it was directed by Melissa DeLeo, who last directed The Long Dark, and it was written by JMS. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 
Right Doesn't it feel like it should be farther? Like, when you said episode 11, I'm like, really? Well, it seems like we're farther in the season. I know, it really does. I had to go back and check episode 11. Really. Yeah. So we did have a couple weeks off. and. Well, it's like halfway, isn't it? Yeah, Still, halfway. So it's one of the things I love about Babylon 5. It moves at such pace. Yeah. All right, let's get started with the recap. So the episode begins in Delenn's quarters. The Grey Council wants to see her to discuss her status and whether or not she should be removed from the Council in Babylon 5. Lanier takes issue with what the Grey Council's doing. She leaves instructions with him in case someone else is sent to replace her. And she says she feels alone for the first time, but Lanier tells her that she's never alone. Aww. Lanier was really sweet in this episode. Yeah. But is this what we we were supposed to be... Because they, they said there was a new leader in place, so this has been going on in the background, obviously. We haven't been getting yeah, updates on this. If you remember, the last time she was with the Grey Council, she declined the leadership herself, so they must have found someone else to take the job. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Ethan Rain, was that who's leading the Grey Council, or was that just her I friend? I think so, I think so. He, yeah. He's got the staff, doesn't he? Okay. I don't remember his name on the show. Sorry for non-Buffy fans. Oh, hey, yeah. Not sure they ever actually said his name, but I do know what his name is. Not sure. Hedron. I'm sure we'll continue to call him Ethan Rain, even if we know his yeah, name. Yeah, he'll be Ethan Rain for now. And, of course, every time I hear Hedron, I just think Large Hadron Collider. See, and I think uh, <laughs> Max Hedron. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. In CNC, Ivanova's telling Sheridan about how the last few ships to go through Sector 92 have reported unusual disturbances, bright light, turbulence, even one disappeared. And Sheridan knows the raiders are pretty much out of business because, yeah, we saw signs and portraits. We know what happened there. And since all the fighter wings are busy or the leader's sick of one of them, he's going to go check it out himself because he hasn't been in space since he arrived. He's bored. Yeah. Yeah. At least he's not trying to be a hero. He's just going out because he's bored. Yeah, and he doesn't really... Like, he's not going out thinking there is immediate danger. He's just right. going out to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And he's a little restless, I guess. And he utters those words oh, that we... Oh, goodness. You never yeah. say that, ever. Yeah. Unless you're doing it sarcastically. Oh, was... <laughs> oh, my gosh, it was terrible. I was like, hello? Foreshadowing. It's like last week on Briscoe and Bowler said that he was thinking about retiring. He knows. <laughs> he knows something about the Because Heidi, you said last week that, you know, at least uh, <clears throat> Sheridan doesn't jump on a plane to help people or whatever. And <laughs> Here he goes. Here he goes. <laughs> Here he goes. Yep. As I said, he's not doing it to help people. He's, he's a bit more pragmatic about going out into space, you know. But still... Well, I just yeah, said help I, people. I don't know if that's exactly what we were talking about, but... But yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know that there's immediate He doesn't danger. put himself in danger every chance he gets. I think that's where we were more going with it. Yeah. Yeah, but still, it's like the last few ships in, in this sector see some strange things and one disappear. Let me head straight out there to that's see what's going true. on. That's true, yeah. <laughs> that was my problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Can you send a probe? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Isn't that what probes are for? Yeah, drone. They have to have drone ships, right? And if you're just going out to keep your um, pay, you can just do a drive-by around uh, the Babylon station and maybe around the planet. And then, you yeah. you know, you don't have to go out on this expedition. 
It's yep. just because he's bored. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't want to lose his flight pay. Yeah. Which makes me also think, wait, wait wouldn't you also lose your uh, pilot's license? Yes, you have so. to have a certain yeah. amount of hours in order to maintain your license. Hmm. Yeah. Makes sense, though. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're bringing out updates to, you know, the computer systems and things like that. Yep. <laughs> I also like the the uh, concept of flight under my, f- uh, sorry, space under my feet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Mixed metaphor there, really. Is it really and under it, your feet? <laughs> well, and also, it's isn't everywhere. it when you're on a space station anyway? Kind of the same thing. Yeah. I know not directly under Earth, I guess, but... He just wants to be out out of gravity, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, they were saying, er, well, what did he say earlier about how he had been grounded... He felt like being there had been ground had grounded. That's late, yeah. late in the episode. Oh, he said that yeah. in a, said that earlier episode. Uh, yes, I mean one thing we learned about it, it's been six months since he's been here, and so yeah. you know it makes a bit of sense that he's saying he's bored if he's used to being on the um, ship exploring space. Yeah, no. he's stuck in um, one place for six months. He's not used to it. Have you guys talked about the the sets for the fighters? For the Star Furies? Mm, I don't think so. Apparently, those um, harnesses and, and the little set that you would get into, the actors hated going into. And oh, uh, yeah. the actress who plays Ivanova was once stuck in there during a fire drill. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they re- couldn't get her out. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It wasn't fun for them at all. No. <laughs> so every time I see them get in there, I'm like, oh, man, you poor guy. You're stuck in there. <laughs> so oh, every time you see story. them there, they're uncomfortable. Trying to imagine not driving for six months. I was on vacation for a week, and when I got back, I was just so happy to get in my car <laughs> and drive myself home. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Out in space, we see a Narn ship getting attacked, and... The Narn gets picked up in a tractor beam. The Narn is played by Marshall Teague. If you remember back in Infection, he played Nelson Drake, the protect guy who turned oh, up in the machine. Okay. Yeah. I, miss, I think yeah. I missed that it was the same guy. Uh-huh. That uh, No, I just mean that same guy that got pulled in there and then the same uh-huh. the guy that he was fighting later. Yeah. Yeah, because this scene, when you watch it, you're... You have no idea what's going on, and so it's yeah. pretty far removed from yeah. And you've only later. seen you've only seen non ships once or twice, so it's easy to forget. You know. Mm-hmm. I think the first time I had forgotten about that, yeah, him getting picked up at the beginning. I just noticed it. a little pillow under his chin. <laughs> I knew it was the same guy because they both had the little pillow. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't there very long, I guess, before he asked him to kill him. Then, man, it made it. He made it seem like he was there forever. Well, you don't you don't know when that took place. I mean, yeah, they showed it to us in the opening, but that doesn't mean that you know it happened within the same day. Well, even a day, I mean, even a couple days, it's it just seems uh, really quickly to be like, I can't take it anymore. Maybe he's got claustrophobia. <laughs> or the little device messes with your perception of time or something. Oh, that's sure. true. we that's really true. don't know what that thing does. Mm. We know it it causes pain and it makes them very aggressive. Mm. You deprive someone of sleep. That and it seemed to it. Uh, disrupt some speech patterns. Like uh, there was a lot of alien language there. So like, oh, yeah. even though they could speak English, they weren't speaking English. And I so, know we're not actually on the scene, but it was good to see that 
Sheridan actually <laughs> knows. <laughs> Sheridan knows words Narni. of alien languages. Drazi, you know, he knows yeah. a bit of Nani. He knows a bit of Drazi. Oh, that yeah. was a Drazi. Okay, I, I, I didn't get it either. Drazis. <laughs> I was like, okay, random alien. Yep, I did not know it was a Drazi. Generic greenish alien. Yeah. <laughs> After the opening credits, we see Delenn getting ready to leave. Veneer's gonna go with her. He doesn't really have to. Uh, she's worried about her disfavor spilling over onto him, but he doesn't care. Going with her anyway. I don't know why, but it seemed like the close-ups on Veneer's face were making me uncomfortable for some reason. I don't know, maybe because he was smiling. <laughs> <laughs> See him smile that much. He's usually kind of serious. I have so I many know. things I want to say, but I think they're spoilery. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but I've been noticing that been, yeah, they're injecting more humor into Lanier though, and you know than they have done in the past here. So yeah. is is everyone in love with Delenn? Because <laughs> like I'm I'm getting this from Lanier and Sheridan, and there was Sinclair. I mean, she is like <laughs> she, she is the girl that everyone is trying to win her heart. Aren't you in love with Dylan too? I mean, come on. Well, yeah, a little bit, but... <laughs> Turning heads. That's right. That bone. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Next we see Sheridan is also getting ready to leave. Ivanova tells him his escort's ready and that General Haig is arriving earlier than they thought. She thought she should have been informed that General Haig is arriving, but Sheridan says it's a private matter. He was going to tell her later. Conova was pissed. Yeah. He's yeah. quite casual about this, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I should have known. Especially considering what we've known about Ivanova already. You know, she prides herself on knowing everything that goes on on Babylon 5. Yeah. Well, and she, she did it in such the right way. Like, her heels were together. She was completely respectful. And at the same time, made it very clear, I should have known, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Like, there was yeah. no disrespect there whatsoever, whereas other shows, you, you'd see more disrespect to the superior of, superior officer. And this is just handled, I think, very well. And he, he's, of course, smiling. Oh, it's no big deal. It's a personal matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's almost about the... Uh, at least Sinclair did a poor... <laughs> <laughs> So, down in the Zocalo, Garibaldi and Franklin are having drinks with Lieutenant Ramirez, talking about baseball. I just called him Lieutenant Redshirt. Just... <laughs> it's a shame. It really is. <laughs> I kind of had a feeling from the beginning he was going to die. And... Oh, hey, look. Here's a guy you've never seen before. He's having yeah. talks with uh, Franklin and Garibaldi. Hmm. Everything will work yeah. out fine for him. This is, this is a whole will. new plot line. <laughs> yeah. And I know I've been uh, knocking Keffa a lot recently, but I found <laughs> Ramirez to have far more personality in this one episode than I've seen so far from Keffa. Mm. <laughs> um, I I just have a problem with the whole argument over the gravity thing. Oh, that's uh, nobody wouldn't know that. That's do you, is that what you mean? Like, how could they not know that? No, that. They're wrong. <laughs> the ball's not going to go faster. It would go farther, <laughs> wouldn't it? No. It wouldn't? No. Um, hang on. I, I got to find what he actually says. He says, only because Martian gravity is 40% less 
than Earth normal, the ball travels faster and further. Um, now, it's close. It's not 40, but it's, it's close enough. Um, it might travel further, but it wouldn't go any faster. Well, like, it really wouldn't affect gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, it, would, it wouldn't affect home runs, though? If, if you use the same size stadium and it went farther. Yeah, but that's not going to affect it because you still have enough time for the other players to, get, to intercept. Well, yeah, but a home run goes, oh. usually goes over the fence line. Oh, well, if it's going to go over the fence line, it's going to go over the fence line. It either goes into the parking lot or it goes into, you know, the Walmart. Well, I just think that, if, like, let's say it was normally going to go into the outfield, it might go into, mm. you know, past the thing if it goes farther. That's, all, that's all I thought they were Possibly. saying. Possibly. I'm not sure. I'd have to I'm no get expert. my uh, physicist in here to double-check <laughs> that. But it just... Um, my husband uh, wrote a book about... Um, ballistics on Mars and so that was one of the things that I was like wait but wouldn't it do this and he's like no no different I'm like really but what about this no no different okay Mm. although you know maybe it's one of those urban myths that's going around especially between rival teams to explain why one team's better than another Oh, that could totally be... Uh, I could see that. That's that's a great justification. And I will say that I did like the argument because it's definitely got a whole, like, I'm from Mars, so I'm that's why I'm rooting for this one, and I'm from Earth. You know, like, definitely some hometown pride and some good rivalry going on. Yeah, and then so you I did got like Garibaldi stuck in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking his water. There's actually a NASA article about baseball on Mars. Oh, I gotta look this one up. So it would be a whole other game on Mars, and it talks about how how easy would it be to score on Mars? A couple of da 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 da. <laughs> so it seems like it would make a difference. Okay. I do remember when the Colorado Rockies first came into the league, it was a big deal about how their altitude made it easier to hit home runs there, but I don't know about... Yeah, it says a ball hit on Mars would sail nearly three times farther than the same ball hit on Earth simply because of Mars reduced gravity. Okay, so yeah, it would go farther. It just wouldn't go faster. Yeah, I guess so. Although the players would be at a disadvantage themselves because especially if they're spending any time constantly on Mars, their muscles will atrophy a little yeah, bit as well. You would never have a, a team from Earth play a team on Mars in Mars's atmosphere. That would you would never be able to do it. Like unless you, you would had never have the wing right, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, what if they had, like, special equipment? Like, um, there was an episode of Deep Space Nine where there was a woman from a lower-gravity planet, and she had to wear, like, these special braces on her legs that uh, made her able to walk around. Mm, That or I could see athletes, you know, competing, spending a lot of time on exercise machines and things like that to keep their strength up. I, I think, though, if they had, you know, some sort of intergalactic baseball... Uh, federation, they would have to have consistent gravity. Yeah. Like, for, that's, yeah. it was just a bad joke in this show, because that would have been factored in. Like, you would never, <laughs> you would never have those competing in the same league, you know, with different gravities like that. We are you know, such geeks. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're picking up on throwaway lines and picking it to pieces. <laughs> I was it's, like, come on. <laughs> it's awesome, though, because that's what, that's what we geeks do, you know? This is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So Ivanova calls Ramirez to 
uh, go to the fighter bay, whatever. But didn't Ivanova say in the previous scene that the escort was already prepared? I didn't feel like going back to listen to her exact wording. Uh, I think she I did. Unless a person she had organized like Taltoner and she had to call on Ramirez as a backup. Uh, maybe or maybe these were concurrent scenes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they could have just flipped it around in editing. So then Sheridan launches with this escort. We see a bad-looking composite shot of Ivanova watching. Mm. And Sheridan shows off a little, and he hits through the What was he doing? Yeah. I didn't even get it. Like, what was he showing off with? He was basically flying backwards when he didn't have to. Oh, okay. I missed that. I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, but that was a nice touch, you know. It... It shows his excitement at being back out in space, you know, that he can't help but do a couple of trick flights and things like that. Delenn and Lanier arrive on the Grey Council ship. Lanier has to wait outside of the room with the lights because only the Council and a few Alkalites are allowed inside. Yeah. Next, we're back out in space. Sheridan and company are investigating... They don't see anything, so they start to head home when this mysterious ship appears out of a jump point. They take evasive actions, but Sheridan's Star Fury gets damaged and he ejects. The other Star Furies are either damaged or destroyed, and Sheridan gets tractor beamed into the ship, and Lieutenant Redshirt is helpless to help Sheridan. At this point, I thought that Sheridan, because of the title of the episode, I thought, like, okay, the rest of the episode, he's going to be, like, in his pod... And they're going to have to rescue him. That's kind of where yeah. we're yeah. yeah, I thought that too, that he was going to be just kind of stuck out there. Then he could have dreamed about Kosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like this episode. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> the point. I kind of like the uh, design of this ship, though. Kind of asymmetrical and just weird looking. I like the pink mm, area. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's all—it's actually designed around collecting, you know, prisoners, rather than being a general exploration ship. Its whole tractor beam collection area is right at the front of the ship. It looks like this pink scoop thing, and like a big vacuum. Yeah. It, all too often, you know, ships are just designed to look pretty, whereas this one's designed around the job it's doing. I, I have a bit of trivia that I didn't know. I, I just looked it up. Um, so the aliens who kidnapped Sheridan are called the Streeds. After novelist Whitley Strieber, the aliens in the show look just like the ones he describes in his book, Communion. I thought it was Stribes. Oh, Stribes, sorry. I'm yeah. reading it. I can't pronounce things. <laughs> oh, it's all right. <laughs> um, but I haven't read the book, Communion, but I, I would be curious if they described their ship at all and if that's similar as well. Huh. I thought they kind of looked like, you know, the generic alien that you yeah, would describe. Huh? Like uh, the gray aliens, you know, like X-Files? Yeah, yeah. that's like yeah. the ones that, you're, that are commonly the ones that abduct people, quote, quote. Um, uh-huh. You know, that they're described yeah. that way. You know, with the kind of the weird shaped head with the big eyes. Yeah, but they're actually a different design from the ones we saw in season one as well. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be the same one or not. No. Yeah, JMS said that they were uh, distant relatives of the race we saw. I think it was in Grail. Yeah. Oh my, okay. I just looked up a communion. It's communion, a true story. <laughs> it, that's what the cover says. Oh. Um, 
<laughs> and the the cover, it looks just like those aliens. Is it actually like him telling what he thinks happened to him, or? Um, I don't know. I haven't I haven't read that oh, far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes, it's based on slightly... his alleged experiences. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> they produced at slightly different times, but it would it would be funny to when. Uh, Sheridan clobbers one of the aliens on the back of the neck and it goes down to see it bleeding green pus. <laughs> the kind of, you got the link with the X-Files there. Yep, yep. Well, uh, it was referenced in Jose Chung's From Outer Space, uh, which is an episode uh, of the X-Files. And apparently there was a movie uh, starring Christopher Walken. So About this? The, the book Communion, yeah. Yeah, oh my god. It was made into a film, and so I think that that sounds like a bonus episode. <laughs> mm. Yeah, add it to the list. Christopher Walken, interesting. Nope, who plays the alien? <laughs> no, he plays Reaper. <laughs> Next, we see Lieutenant Redshirt has <laughs> low power. There's a radiation leak and no communication. He's having trouble staying conscious, and He's going to head back to B5 to tell him what happened. Yeah, he basically he says, you know, why don't you just put all the energy towards getting the ship back rather than sustaining me because he knows he's going to die. Yeah, yeah. already leaked the levels. Yeah, he had, actually he did pretty good. Like you could see in his face and the actor, yeah. um, like he really was like had yeah. a panic look. There's a hesitation over line, which I don't think is a flubber at all, and it's a really nice acting choice. Agreed. Yeah, it was very well done. Back on Babylon 5, Ivanova's pacing when General Haig arrives. He doesn't like to make a fuss, so he didn't want any kind of honor guard or anything like that. She tells him that the captain is out looking into something, and Haig seems a little concerned because Sheridan's never late for anything. He was supposed to be back before Haig arrived. Yeah, and I was about to ask whether we've seen him before, but of course we have at the start of the season. So you know the story that he was also doing uh, roles on DS9 at the same time, Heidi and Elizabeth. I think we've said that, haven't we? Wait, when when was he in this show before? I don't remember. At the very start yeah. of the season, he was the one who told Sheridan and Vardava that, that he was going to start commanding Babylon 5. He was on the comlinks. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. I mean, he looked yeah. familiar, but I didn't know if it was from this show or from some other show. Uh, as I said, he's also done role, a similar sort of role on DS9. Mm-hmm. Next, we see the alien ship in hyperspace. Sheridan wakes up on the ship and... Covered in clean sees... film. <laughs> yeah, we see that thing with the saws ah, and whatever come freaky. down the room. Yeah. Nice bit of CGI, though. Yeah. So wait, yeah. I just noticed the guy that plays Lieutenant Ramirez, he's credited as Nick Corey, but his IMDB is Jus I don't know how to pronounce it. J S U Garcia. Yeah, I saw that he has he went by a different name at one point. Hmm. Yeah, Absolutely weird. I'm guessing he went by like a white name to try to make it and then realized, you know what, screw it, let me just use my real name. I'm guessing here. <laughs> hmm. But that's kinda neat. What else has he been in then? Um, well, you should he is known yourself. for A Nightmare on Elm Street, Along Came Polly, We Were Soldiers, and Collateral Damage. Hmm. Oh, I remember him in Collateral Damage. He's the friend. Okay. That's a Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, I don't think I've seen I haven't seen it in ages, so I can't really 
say I remember him. Yeah, and he's one of the soldiers, and we were soldiers. <laughs> I know that helps a lot, right? <laughs> well, there's there's really only two people you could be. If you're a guy, you're one of the soldiers. If you're a woman, you're one of the wives. <laughs> Dylan goes to address the council. Uh, the leader, Hedron, is the only one who shows up. The others won't come because they don't like what she did. Because she was told to wait, and now she's become alien. She tells them that her heart hasn't changed, though, but they no longer know her heart. So they voted to remove her from the council. She's no longer Satai. They're debating whether or not to remove her from B5 as well. And she has a right to speak before the Nine. And when she asks who's been chosen to replace her, Hedron doesn't answer. He avoids the question quite obviously. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, okay. So they said that she was told to wait. Is that what really what happened? Like they said, wait, don't become half human. I mean, I know they didn't say like what it was going to be, but are we supposed to think that they knew what was going to happen and they just knew that it had to happen eventually and that they told her just to wait on it? Because that's not how I thought it was. Didn't they say that they didn't think it was the time? Yeah, right. I believe they said something along the lines of prophecy will attend to itself. Yeah, and she wanted to push the prophecy. But so they're, they're basically implying here that they knew she was going to become half-human. Well, they knew she was going to go through some sort of metamorphosis. She, they didn't know what would happen to her, I think. Mm. But she was given the extra triangle by somebody... Yeah, I think that was a friend of hers on the council mm-hmm. who probably had her side on the argument, but, you know, he was only one voice amongst... Right, no, what, I know, but... You know. That's kind of what I remember is, is they... I don't know, I just never got the sense that they knew what was going to happen. And the way this was said in this episode, it just made me think like they're saying that they knew it was going to happen. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm reading it wrong. So Heidi had a prediction that we would see the Grey Council again, but they would be against Dylan because of her change. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got that right. What did you guys think about the fact that they booted her from the council without even talking to her? Um, I don't know. I don't like the Grey Council. Typical. So. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I was just like, oh yeah, you guys are just grouchy. <laughs> Because they're on that ship all the time together. Yeah. And none it's of them are very bad. much fun. They're <laughs> not the only one out there in the universe doing anything. They're all bored with like Sheridan. You know, it's almost um Membari version of Big Brother, really. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine, I would watch. imagine rather than watching Big Brother, you were ruled by Big Brother's cast. And they were just there off independently deciding your fate. That'd be bad. You know they're going to do Big Brother in space as soon as we have the technology. <laughs> it's going to happen. As they well, <laughs> a few years ago, there was a, um, a spoof reality show where they managed to fool a group of people into believing they were on a reality show and they were being sent into space. Uh-huh. <laughs> but... Didn't last very long, but... <laughs> you know, it made a splash. You know, enough people tuned in. On Babylon Five, Sheridan has a return. Clarence tells us that the jump gate is activated, and Lieutenant Ramirez comes through, and he's almost dead. Clarence, take command. <laughs> we got to see him a few times. Episode is always just one line, but so. yeah. 
But it really is him consistently now giving those extra lines rather than having a random extra. Um, back in hyperspace, that device goes back into the ceiling. I guess they've been torturing Sheridan. And then Drazi just <laughs> You can tell by nowhere. the slight piece of blood on his cheek. <laughs> the three <laughs> dots of blood. Yeah, every time I watch this episode, that kind of irritates me. It's... It just looks like he's just had a really bad week and had a couple of spots. Yeah, that was yeah. really weird. I didn't get that. At the end, right? Like when you oh, get definitely. three spots, yeah. Yeah. So this Drazi has a device on him that's controlling him or making him aggressive. Sherry accidentally kills the Drazi and then a Narn that the guy we saw earlier shows up ready to fight. This was a terrible fight. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people that have seen the original Star Trek series probably reminds them of an episode. That reminds where, where me Kirk... later on he does the Kirk chop. <laughs> What's the Kirk chop? Oh, Kirk would always do like this really bad karate chop looking move and it would always knock the opponent down, but he uses it later against one of the Greys and he just walks up behind him and whop and the guy goes <laughs> straight down and is like, that's so stupid. Stupid. You see, I thought it was Venusian Arcado and he had picked up some of the third doctor's maneuvers. <laughs> just, I was just waiting him to say, Kate! <laughs> yeah, they really didn't practice this very much, or, you know, it's like, yeah, no, you're not supposed to telegraph where you. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, so the, they fight in the Narn tail Sheridan to kill him. Sheridan refuses because that's what they want, and then he. Knocks the Nard out and starts shouting at their captors. Back on Babylon 5 in Med Bay, Dr. Franklin is treating uh, Lieutenant Ramirez. So he said, Ramirez says he won't be collecting on that bet and he dies. And Garibaldi <laughs> tells him. The way you said that was. <laughs> he dies. <laughs> Garibaldi tells him he did everything he could. Ivanova comes and tells Garibaldi that the data from the Star Fury shows them that an alien ship of unknown configuration took Sheridan. Yeah, um, one that thinks that this was uncharacteristic uh, scene chewing by uh, Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> it was horrible. It was a bit a reaction. Dude, your 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 best friend in the refrigerator. I'm sorry, we didn't get enough time for him to really have it happen. <laughs> hmm, maybe he was bunking with him on his spare cot or something. Oh, fan fiction. Next, <laughs> <laughs> Delin goes before the Grey Council. She's been labeled an outcast after standing with them for 20 cycles, but. She explains that she hasn't turned her back on them and that humans and Minbari must be united for the Great War. She asks that she be allowed to remain on Babylon 5. And then we hear our old friend Nerun say that he's happy to let her stay with the he humans. He was a dick. He was. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, yeah, now the, the Warikas have got an extra member of the Grey Council. And we hear, finally hear about the third Minbari. Yeah. Okay, I was wondering if they if I could remember if they mentioned the worker cast before. No, know, this is the first time we hear about the worker cast. Mm-hmm. Although we have actually seen them in the background, which is silly. Well, there's <laughs> a, JMS does a lot of that, right? Like, there's a lot of people in the background 
that you don't realize are important until much, much later. Oh, yes, definitely. Well, it makes a lot more sense. I mean, really, could you just have a religious cast and a warrior cast and that's it? Yeah. No, exactly. you have worker cast, which is basically everyone else. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It makes sense. There had to be another one. Yeah, it, it, I'm like, okay, so they're getting on her for going against, you know, I don't know, what they consider protocol. And here they are going against protocol by having a, an additional member of the warrior cast. It's okay so, when they do it. It's of course, yeah. Well, of okay. course. But it's Balon's rules. You yeah, break Balon's yeah, rules. I know. <laughs> I know. They, don't they know anything? <laughs> so that's interesting. So yeah, that's definitely going to come to come to play in the future, I'm sure. And the fact that it's Naroon as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was such a good character from the first season, he had to come back. And he said, basically, like, if, I, if we had known why you stopped the war, we wouldn't have stopped it. So that means, because they did it at the, at the religious cast um, request last time, right? Uh, well, right. at the Grey Council's request. But I think at the time, the religious cast had more sway. Mm. Um, probably not. Because they still would have had the 3-3-3. Three, three, and three. Um, Because even though they're, one of their religious people had, had died, they, I'm sure they replaced that person. I don't think they had any more people there, but there may have been more sentiment because that one, the, that one religious leader, uh, warriors looked up to him as well. Yes, yes, that's what I meant. Okay, I understand what you mean yeah. now. All right. Yeah, that there was more sympathy towards the religious caste at that point because of what started the war. Yeah, what started the war? The fact one of the religious leaders became a warrior and was leading the war, and the Great Council's discoveries are, you know, because they're ultimately debatable. But you know, yeah. if you know they're discovering what they think of as Membari souls in human bodies, that's a religious argument for stopping the war. Yeah. And yeah, they could but, argue that pretty okay. well. But was, didn't we find out already that there was a religious reason that was given to start to stop the war? Isn't that what we already found out? Um, I can't remember why they, the reason they said to stop the war, but they, mm-hmm. I think they were just told to, to stop the war and. In Membari society, you obey the Grey Council. Okay. Because Valen set down the rules. Of course you'll uh, obey the Grey Council because your great religious icon told you to. Right, religious. So Yeah, I have that thought too, Elizabeth, that it was something that came from the religious side of things. It'd be like in the the States um, having suddenly New York is allowed to have five senators instead of two. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're also missing out on the importance of the workers' cast, and basically they have the swaying vote, I think. Yeah, um, they're the tiebreakers. Yeah, that during the war, you, they probably were getting tired of the war because they keep, you know, they would have had to manufacture so many things, and they would have. Got a lot of them would have gotten killed, and no credit would have gone to them. So I, could I guess, see but weren't they on the brink of winning the war? I mean, isn't that the whole point that they pulled back, like right on the verge of winning? They did. It's, <clears throat> so it doesn't make sense that they would 
say let's not do it just because of that. You got you got all the way to there. You wouldn't you know, for yeah, that reason just say we're about to win. I, I, but... think, I think the problem is we've only just heard about the worker cast and we don't know enough about them. Yeah, like what what was their part in the war? What what were their desires? How did that impact them? Were they losing people to the warrior cast? You know, is it kind of like the draft? Oh, well, oh, you yeah, exactly. and now you're a warrior. Yeah, and now as well, what has made them decide that it's okay to have a fourth warrior on the Grey Council? Why did they fight it? Yeah, that's that's another interesting thing. I guess maybe because you had eight people voting, three workers, three uh, warriors, and only two religious, so yeah, yeah, I guess that's how they did it. It, it must be like any political situation. The other two casts lobby the war, war... Sorry, I keep on wanting to say warrior cast. Keep on lobbying the worker cast because they're the ones who can sway your, the vote one way or another. Yep. Um, uh, so Nauru uh, argues that it's good that they have the majority because they died during the last war and Delin keeps saying a great war is coming. He's kind of offended by what she's done, but think that it does make her a great liaison between the Minbari and the humans. So he tells her to get on back to B5 and stay there. So the lights go out and she's all alone in the night, I guess. Mm. <laughs> Those yeah. lights are so dramatic. I know. Yeah, basically the Minbari are drama queens. They very much are. <laughs> well, they all have crowns, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Back on the alien ship, Sheridan's talking to the Narn after the Narn wakes up. Uh, Sheridan's taking that device off of his head. Hasn't seen anybody other than the two people he's fought, and he thinks the ship could be running on automatic for all he knows. The Narn guy thinks the captors are running experiments on them, looking for potential targets, trying to decide who's a good prospect for invasion. Sheridan wants to go because first rule of any prisoner is to escape. The Narn said that there is no escape. It's better to die and he falls unconscious. Well, death is an escape. It's just not mm-hmm. the best one. <laughs> so, after this, Lanier greets Delin. She says she's just Delin now and she's going back to B5. He, She says he doesn't have to go back with her. She can be free, but he's going to go with her because he's sworn to walk by her side. And she says that very soon she's going into darkness and fire. She doesn't know if she'll walk out, but she couldn't have wished for a braver companion. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. We'll peep into what's coming for her. Yeah. I like this as well because she tells the truth, but not in the right context. Because, yeah, the Grey Council are very enthusiastic she returns, but not positively enthusiastic. So, oh no, they say she, they're very positive about her returning to Babylon 5. But that's not actually a nice thing for Delenn in the context they put it. But she's trying to put the, a best, her best face on this for Lanier. She's an optimist. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what she said, but I mean, I guess it is a little humiliating, so I guess <laughs> to be thrown but, out of the council and yeah, basically that happens. Huh? I don't think that that happens, you know? Yeah. This is not a common thing. I think I think uh, 
You, when you're on the Grey Council, it's for life. Unless you choose to retire. Yeah, well, there's that. Yeah. Um, so, not good for Delenn at the moment. Back on Babylon 5, they've had a sighting of the alien ship, um, and they notice that it's almost like they're collecting specimens. General Haig has placed a few calls in case they need more firepower, and the Agamemnon comes to the jump gate. She's the fastest one in the area. They have the power, now they just need a target. Uh, now this next scene, we're going to have to go <laughs> do this oh slowly. Maybe. Oh yeah, there's a breakdown on um, the Lurkish Guide, so if you miss anything, I've got it listed here. So back on the alien ship, Sheridan and the Narn are resting. Sheridan falls asleep and he has a dream. <laughs> I had a dream. Mm, there's a lot um, in this dream. Yeah, the first part, he's in his uh, quarters. It's very dark and he looks and sees Ivanova there. Her hair is off to one side and she puts her finger up to her mouth and says, shh. And a black raven appears on her shoulder. And she says, do you know who I am? Shall we, and before he, we move on, what do you make of that? Because yeah. <laughs> that's full of imagery. Well, Raven is like a image of death, right? So that's right. the only thing I can think. Uh, and then, yeah. do you know who I am? <laughs> I don't even know. I, I have no idea. Dream okay. imagery is much too... I mean, unless somebody spells it out for me, like when I watch Restless and listen to Joss Whedon tell me what it means, <laughs> then, I mean, yeah. It's all about the cheese, right? Exactly. Yeah. Too esoteric for you. I mean, a lot of things are, are clear in hindsight, but you would uh-huh. never know what it means when you're watching it for the first time. Mm. Yeah. Like when you're, again, with Restless, when they're talking about Little Sister and all that stuff, you... You would have, you have no context of figuring yeah. that out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then Sheridan turns around and he's in a corridor and he sees another Sheridan standing on a platform and he looks and sees Garibaldi with a dove on his shoulder. Okay. <laughs> I wrote down pigeon. <laughs> so. Oh. <laughs> so we've got That's a, a dove. completely different symbol. That makes more sense, because that means a something. A dove is a raven. That's got to be something. So peace versus death? Hmm. Garibaldi is peace, okay. <laughs> and Ivanova is death. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, Garibaldi says the man in between is searching for you and hmm. yeah the man in between who could that be Sinclair but I think he already knows who he is so that doesn't help I don't know maybe a soul I don't know I'm not gonna guess this is terrible <laughs> the soul the soul <laughs> in between the Mimbari and the humans who hasn't crossed over I don't no, this is I know. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's torture for them. <laughs> it's Zathras. It's Zathras. Yes. <laughs> Correct. <Yes. laughs> so then Sheridan turns around Please. and he's oh, wearing a, Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, he's wearing a Psycop uniform. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's looking at a veiled Ivanova who says, You are the hand. And then he's wearing his normal yeah. uniform again. I mean, after seeing, 
in this. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, after seeing Buffy, that takes on a different meaning to what it did originally. You are the hand. Xander was the hand of their little group when they did the. Oh. Uh, no, he was the heart. Oh, I thought. Oh no, Buffy was the hand. Buffy's the hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I've said how I feel about Xander. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Um, at least Talia didn't make an appearance in the stream sequence. Maybe (laughs) Ivanova was standing in for her when they said, um, who am I? Yeah. (laughs) Then Sheridan sees Kosh and he asks, why are you here? Um, This may be and I'm just going to say it. Okay, Kosh says, We were never away. For the first time, your mind is quiet enough to hear me. Then Sheridan says, Why am I here? And Kosh answers, You have always been here. And Sheridan awakes. I like yeah. how Kosh says, We, though. That, that's mm-hmm. interesting. We. I like yeah. the, This is the first time your mind has been quiet enough to hear me. Because he's not being full of himself right now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, uh. This is Kosh, remember, so every word is important here. And cryptic. <laughs> yeah, of course, always yeah. cryptic. When when I saw this for the first time, I couldn't help but be reminded of um, the prophets and Commander Sisko in Deep Space Nine. Uh, so I didn't know if I could trust anything, if it was Kosh or whatever. And then later on when Kosh said the same thing, I'm like, what? <laughs> I know, that's that makes it just so strange. So he said, we, what did he say? We are looking? We, we were never away. Yeah. Um, so he's all, and, and Sheridan's always been there. That was the other part. You have always been here, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And, and uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? He, well, it seems that everybody's you... always been there if they were never away and he's always been there. Yeah. <laughs> also, though, he never appeared like this to um, Sinclair. Why is he appearing to Sheridan? Is Sheridan going to be the one now? No, he can't be the one. Maybe he's, he's the, the two. two. <laughs> <laughs> or the other one. There was an... the other one. <laughs> the other one. Not <laughs> 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 the other one. But you're the other one. the other one. The other one. There was a note about Kasha's voice maybe having some emotion this time, and JMS said that around this episode, he took on the job of directing the voice sessions for Kosh because he was moving from a natural delivery to things that had to carry specific emotions and implications, and since JMS was the only one who knew what all this cryptic stuff meant, he had to take over the voice directing sessions. So it's not just cryptic words and you have to pay attention to what he says. You've got to pay attention to the way way he's saying it. Oh, forget it. (laughs) 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 There's no way I can make any sense of this. And you say that that JMS was the only one that knew what he meant at this point? Well, yeah, like he knows, I guess, the plan for the future. Well, that's what he meant. Nobody else knows what all this stuff means. Mm -hmm. He said... So he wasn't giving the five-year plan to a lot of people. No, but I know there have been times where he maybe have told an actor about something that was happening later because they needed to you know, play the scene a certain mm-hmm. way. 
kind of like Joss telling Marina Baccarin what her backstory was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So next we see Delenn arrive back on Babylon 5. She finds out that Sheridan's been reported missing, and she has some information that they've been called. Uh, they're the Strabes, and over the years, they've sent out ships to investigate defenses and take samples, and their last expedition was to Minbari space, but the Minbari made them realize that they messed with the wrong people. Yep. So Ivanova gives them coordinates to their... She gives Ivanova coordinates to their home world. I... Minbari seem to have a habit at teaching other races lessons. <laughs> yeah, they're not just these nice They think people. they're Vorlons they're kinda... or something. <laughs> 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 I I love this scene because this is one of the um one of the scenes that oh yeah Delenn she's a bamf you know she is a bad mom <laughs> drama you know she she like especially in this episode where everything was taken from her and she's on her way back and she's like oh oh you're dealing with the street yeah we've already kind of destroyed them so let's let's go get our people back you know like. And she's yeah. got everything in hand. She knows everything that's going on. Yeah. And I love when this happens with her because you kind of forget how awesome she is. And then all of a sudden, boom, there you go. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. religious past, but she can scare the bejesus out of people. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. And it, it's also, she's just had things stripped away from her. She's not going to let one of her friends go down the pan, too. You know, yep. she's... You know, she's going to look after her friends. Uh, so on the alien ship, Sheridan and the Narn are trying to open the door that they saw earlier was movable. The ship arrives at their home world, and at the same time, the Agamemnon and others arrive. Ivanova and Delenn are also there, and there's a space fight. And Delenn reminds the Strabe what happened the last time. the <laughs> <laughs> Tells them to release their prisoners. This is the other bump moment from Delay. Yeah. Didn't go exactly how she wanted it to, though. No, no. But they did release the prisoners. Yeah, they did. Should have been more specific. <laughs> I, I actually like the way they animated it, too. Yeah, like you're, good. you're just watching it, and all of a sudden you just see bodies, and you're like, wait, what is... Oh, my God, it's bodies. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And Ivanova's reaction was not over the top, I don't think. Like kill yeah, them she, all. She, yeah. She's revolted and and reacts exactly as you would expect. Yeah, I mean, she thinks that you know her captain is gone, so you know there's nobody there that could be harmed other than the people that took him. That's what she yeah. thinks, anyways. Yeah. So while this was going on, Sheridan and the Narn guy found the survival pod and got loose, and they picked up the signal from the escape pod and rescued Sheridan and. I love how they didn't explain to us what Morse code is. Because, like, every sci-fi show, they use Morse code as a way to communicate when it's outdated. And they always explain what it is. And then, so she's like, wait. The, as I was, as I, the, the, that's the captain! You know, like, I just I yeah. like that she made all the jumps. She didn't have to spell it out. We didn't need to get to know, oh, it's this antiquated method of communication. No, it was It was pretty awesome. Yeah, we didn't need to see from Sheridan coming up with this brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, a rewiring this the shuttle pod. In every sci-fi show and oh, right, all yeah. of them, they explain what Morse code is. They come up with, you know, they, they detail how the person's sending the signal and all this other nonsense. And it's just like, all right, yeah, we get it. We know, you know, 
I mean, most most sci-fi viewers, if we were ever trapped in a situation, we're going to SOS. Why? Because that's what everybody does, you know? Yeah. I'd be screwed. <laughs> long, long, short, short, long, long. Very easy. Mm. All you've got to do is figure out how the alien technology works and then yep, send the that's signal. All. <laughs> All that before you bought up a blows Well, it's very guy. easy because all the components you could possibly need are in the door locking panel. Always. <laughs> <laughs> you can get into the ship's systems from that. <laughs> uh, back on Babylon 5, the Narn's going to be okay. Sheridan finds out why uh, that Ramirez died. He doesn't understand why he's alive and Ramirez is it's not fair. But when he leaves Medbay, cautious is standing there and he repeats, You have always been. And I am always stalking you. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> like, now it's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> 50 feet, man. 50 feet. Yeah. Hey guys, I have a stalker. <laughs> He's not very stealthy, though. I mean, he can't really no. hide. So. Can you face my dreams? <laughs> he can if he comes out of his. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Little ball of light. Mm hmm. So that was the first 38 minutes of the episode. The last five minutes were <laughs> what made the yeah, episode for me. Yeah. So in Sheridan's quarters, Hague arrives and he pulls out some kind of anti-listening device device thing. Sheridan's glad that somebody was here, is here to finally debrief him because he felt like he was abandoned. And Hague says it's been a while, taken a while to get things sorted out since Santiago's assassina assassination. Man, I can't speak. So it turns out that Sheridan was sent there to check out the officers, Garibaldi, Franklin, Ivanova. Sheridan says that they're all loyal to Earth. Haig says he's not a spy, more like a trapdoor spider. What does spider. that mean? I've been seeing this several times down the years, and I never get that reference. So Haig explains that the reason Sheridan was Santiago's choice was because his record makes him look like a hard-nosed jarhead and Clark would leave him alone because of that. A lot of people back home don't believe that Santiago's death was an accident and whoever did it had help from the military and home guard and people like that, but Psychor is calling the shots. They have to prove it and they need to proceed very carefully. So he wants... Sheridan to use B5's resources to help Clark to help without Clark suspecting it, but Sheridan's going to risk putting everybody he brings into this in danger. Haig says it's time to start acting, and Sheridan's cooperation is essential to taking back the government, and he needs Sheridan's answer now. Yeah. Now, Sheridan, if you hadn't gone out exploring, we would have had more time to go over this. And Seriously. Like, <laughs> like this is what the episode should have been about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had five minutes to get all this in, but it's good that the characters are annoyed about that. Uh, it's just they're not just going with whatever's happening. They they've got a plan and a schedule they need to keep to, just as much as everything else. Yeah, so we have the explanation of why Sheridan was Santiago's choice. They said it in an earlier episode, but they didn't explain yeah, why. Yeah, so I'm glad they did. Uh huh. Because we've been. Really harping on that. Yeah, uh, we kind of couldn't go into it because we knew this was coming up. Mm -hmm. But we needed to make it clear that, yeah, he's Santiago's choice. So, were you guys surprised that that Sheridan 
Yeah, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think about it. You see, listening to the podcast now, I'm really messed up. Um, that that not that he was spying, but he was checking out everyone. Yes, when that came out, I was like, yeah. Wait, seriously? And we're supposed to like this guy? Because <laughs> he, he really feels so it. genuine, and and I know it was a surprise for me. Uh huh. Yeah, I was shocked. But I guess he was doing it yeah, for like a like what we would call a good reason cause. So I guess that makes me feel better about it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I felt I felt better about it as they talked more. But when just that first part yeah. came out, oh, yeah. you, were, you were checking uh, up on these people. I'm like, yeah. what? I could hear him say to Hay before he got the mission that he knows of Vanova. He doesn't need to check her out, but you know he'll do it for the others' sake. So. He kind of explained, I think, a little why B5 was, do you say that? Like, B5 has all these... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got resources that they can't really use on Earth, and kind of, they're out of the way, so they won't be noticed. Yeah. There was a note in the Lurker's Guide, um, JMS was saying there are some tie-ins to a distant star where, yeah, where Sheridan was saying that he felt abandoned... It's unsure it, that yeah about how he was unsure about taking this post and what if it was a mistake. A number of his actions come into a clearer light once you know he was checking it oh, all like out, what? putting on. Um, like when he made Ivanova sleep in his office. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Some, I mean, no. This is just personal. My personal belief is that. Ivanova is the one there that he trusted because he'd worked with her before and immediately they had this trust and camaraderie that I I just feel like she's the one he wouldn't have been checking up on. No, I was just kidding. Doesn't it make his act like his little um poutiness over the room seem ridiculous, even more ridiculous now? Because why would you potentially ruin a relationship? with EarthGov, or at least accounting, over some stupid thing when you have an important role to play. It just seems dumb. Yeah. Because if yeah. he didn't, somebody might go, why isn't he? <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> sure. you, know, you know anyone who knows him would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sheridan <laughs> was okay with paying an extra 30 credits a month? Yeah. I don't even, think so. Okay. I reckon even on a record that tells you, says you're a hard-nosed jarhead, you'd complain about that even... Yeah. And by the way, we get a reference for what 30 credits is in this episode. It's enough to buy a really nice dinner. So I'm thinking between 50 and 100 bucks because that's what uh, Ramirez bet the doctor. And he said, uh, when I come back, you know, when I win that bet, I'll be uh, having a really nice dinner. Mm. So So. probably a a dinner, a night out at fresh air then. Yeah, yeah. I don't eat out much, but a really nice (laughs) dinner. Well, dinner for two. Okay. okay dinner for two. You know, a, ni- a nice dinner for two is going to be between fifty and hundred bucks. I looked up the trapdoor spider, but it's just a spider. It's really <laughs> hideous looking, but it. Um... Oh, I think they're cute. Oh God! <laughs> it looks like a potato with really shiny legs, but yeah. but there's well, some pictures where you see the front legs that go up. They're really cute when they do that. Adorable. <laughs> so... Anything with the word spider in it. Is not adorable. <laughs> Including so the they... spiders, by the way. <laughs> do they create their own trap door or something? Yeah, so they... It's almost like a little camouflage web they make with um, 
plant and soil materials to camouflage it. And it has like a little kind of trap door that gets activated, of course, when they hit the silk. But I still don't get it in the context of what Sharon is I think I do. I'm looking on the Urban Dictionary yeah. for trapdoor spider. I think. Go ahead. Oh, is it on there? Oh, really? Go ahead. Okay, that's yeah. Be better than this one. No, it's not okay, better. It's than probably better than Dictionary. We need to talk about it. Yeah. It says sexist. Thing. Oh, then let's yeah. Whoa. Yeah. No. So, yeah. so um, I think what they mean in this context is instead of going out and spying on people, he's more like a trap uh, door spider. Meaning, if something bad happens and it comes to him, he'll alert people. But it, he's not actually actively spying on them. He's passively spying. Okay. On yeah, them. yeah, it's very passive. It's it's nobody's a problem unless he they they become a threat. So, because like the the trapdoor spiders don't actually go out and get the, their prey, they wait for their prey to disturb them. Isn't that any spider? Yeah, well, yes and no. Um, regular spiders will put their webs where um, active flight patterns for other bugs are going to be. Like, you'll notice spider webs by your front door light because that's where all the moths are going to be flying. So they're actively trying to get people. Whereas a trapdoor spider is camouflaging itself and it's only when something goes in there, its hole, that it actually eats them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It makes sense yeah, for the sure. metaphor, definitely. Yeah. It's a weird metaphor, though. Like, I can't imagine ever using it in common conversation. No, I don't even know what it was. Although JMS is brilliant in the story arcs he's planning, sometimes the dialogue doesn't quite work. Sometimes he has too much knowledge for his own good. Yeah. And he's read a lot of sci-fi. So, like, if he's read something elsewhere, it tends to show up. So if other people have used this trope, like Ian said, that he's he's seen this in other uh, sci-fi before. So I wouldn't be surprised if JMS was like, oh, yeah, Trapdoor Spider, I read that in Clark and Bradbury and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he loves <laughs> Yeah. We have those here in Oregon. I want to find one. Look Keep for Trapdoors. <laughs> <laughs> he said something where was it um, yeah once you realize he was in, in essence checking them all out and putting on a hard I'm a nice guy attitude so he's really not uh, a nice guy well I think it gives an in, in universe explanation for why he's smiling all the time yeah that's what I was thinking <laughs> yeah <laughs> So later on, Ivanova arrives in Sheridan's quarters. Garibaldi and Franklin are there. They're all in their leisure attire. And Sheridan explains how there's been something unpleasant going on back home since Santiago's death. And now it's time to do something. They're going to get some help from Earth Dome, but if something goes wrong, they're on their own. And it gives them a chance to leave before they hear something they have to report, but they're all in. And yeah, we can't go into it now because I'm sure that's going to provide some great predictions for you guys. I just love how Garibaldi's holding the jamming device and is like, hmm, covert, secret slides. Yeah, sure, I'm in. Of course, Garibaldi's yeah. the first one in for that. <laughs> of course he is. And then one of his reactions is, well, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, it's whatever I'll do. Yeah, JMS had said something earlier in the season, I guess, that there were about things to come, and he said conspiracies of light as well as dark. So I guess this is 
you know, the conspiracies of light, I guess. That's to see the good guys conspiring. Yeah, for sure. Are they good guys? Apart from predictions, though, it, it came unexpected to you guys, did it? Yeah, it definitely yeah. did to me. I had to post it on the on the uh, Facebook group and be very cryptic because I didn't want Elizabeth to see it before she'd seen the episode and, you know, have any idea what was coming. But I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's one of those things that's just slipped in there at the last minute and makes you say, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah and... Like, too bad our episode was Exactly, that's what I was going to say. When the rest of the episode <laughs> is just very, okay, here we go. Okay, let's rescue him. Get this over with. Okay, now what? What is going on now? <laughs> Got a little yeah. week now. You're ready to do quotes of the week? Sure. I have one. Sheridan says, give me a lever big enough and I will move the world. So, of course, I've got to quote Kosh. You have always been here. (laughs) Nice. What do you mean? I've only been here for six months. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What could go wrong? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll be right it's back. It, each one of those lines that I'm sure JMS threw in there, knowing people would pick up on it. and yeah. So I've got to go for Ivanova's. Captain, if you continue in this behaviour, you'll just make the other pilots feel inadequate. <laughs> um, I'll go with Ivanova at the very end. Hey, I never did know when to butt out. We're with you, Captain. Wherever this goes, however it ends, we're with you. I I have to comment, by the way. That's uh, some pretty good loyalty after only six months. Yeah. 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 Like, he hasn't even told you what it is. (laughs) And you, you know, at least two of them are career mil... Well, not career military. Because Garibaldi's not military. He's civilian, right? Because he's security. He's... I don't know. I don't think he's well, in the military. I think he's not, yeah. private security. But station security. Uh, he's he's employed by Earth Force. Right. But he's not signed up. And he's not part of the rank structure and he didn't have to pay extra for his quarters. No. <laughs> yeah. Um we did see we have seen both Ivanova and Garibaldi though questioning like what is going on with the oh, yeah. government. So I guess that's been some good background for them just jumping in here and saying okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm just commenting like that's Sheridan has definitely laid good groundwork to mm-hmm. get them able to trust him because even if you're wondering like all right, something fishy's going on and your new boss when your old boss disappeared without word, comes in and says, yeah, so we need to do some secret stuff, and I can't tell you what it's about <laughs> until you say that you're on board. Yeah, you especially know? Garibaldi, who has had contact from Sinclair. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they trust him, it's 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 a good vote yeah. of character for Sheridan. Uh, the interesting one in this is Franklin, because... You've had the whole thing from Ivanova and Sheridan already questioning what's going on. Garibaldi's naturally suspicious and he's been shot in the back from, you know, by one of his own people who was involved in this conspiracy. 
And Franklin's on board too. Why? Well, he ran the Underground Railroad, so he's That's already right. been fucking the system. True. Plus, he true. does anything that he can think of to just get himself in trouble. <laughs> okay. Yeah, both of those things are true. Yeah, I, those make sense now. Rebelling against his father. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Rebelling against authority in general. Yeah. I may work for the man, but I'm still an, I'm still a rebel. Yeah. Does anybody else have any more quotes? Well, let's move to our characters of the week. Who is our human of the week? It has to be Sheridan, really. Yeah, yeah it kind of has to be. I'm That's trying a... to think of anybody else it could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, yeah, his storyline was kind of boring. But also, I just didn't, like, ah, uh, like, he shouldn't have gone out there in the first place, and I don't know. I didn't and like. He shouldn't anything. have said that line. Yeah, <laughs> not about himself, really. Yeah, but he handled it well. He, of course, he did. Yeah, he, he didn't everything get faced. Well. <laughs> 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 now we go in a really different direction with this show. Thank God, we need it. We got another captain. <laughs> Is this like Murphy Brown's secretary? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, either they would have got a captain loyal to. Clark or Avada would have been put in charge of B5. Now that could be fun. Yeah, That could be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, it definitely could oh. have been. Because Avada was always right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, and also, you know what would have happened if Avada had been put in charge? What's it? Um, Clarence would have got a promotion. Yay. Oh, there you go. He would have gotten Avada's current role. I like this new show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this yeah, show did. instead. Commander Ivanova and Captain Clarence. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to put Sheridan. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I can't think of anybody else. <laughs> Who's our alien Delenn. of the week? Got to be Delenn. Yes, yeah. Yes. If only for her scene when she comes back as a badass. So I did like <laughs> Linear as well. Linear is awesome. Yeah. And and cautious, cryptic as ever. <laughs> but I was cheering Delenn. When she when she's like, oh, we know who they are. Here, this is where they are. Let's go kick their butts. Yeah. And I always, yeah. I always love the scenes when Delend confronted the Grey Council. Mm. Yeah. Although you know, it's it's funny because it's a lot of fun to see her go head to head with the Grey Council. But if you looked at it from their point of view, she's like some fanatic. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, who's who's believed herself to be part of this prophecy. And and they could see her as dangerous, and I could totally support that. I don't support the having four warrior casts, but mm-hmm. I I totally understand their reaction to her. Yeah, it'd be kind of the equivalent of um, a Scientologist coming speaking in front of a government, you know, some government body trying to say this is what we should be doing. <laughs> Well, well it, no, they're it's all the more same along the lines of like, um, uh, uh, you know, one of the 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 members of parliament or the that the senate or the cabinet or whatever saying, okay, so we need to be moving in this direction. And oh, by the way, I am a prophet of right. the Lord, <laughs> and these are my followers. Yep, and yep. look at me, I've gone through some sort of miraculous transformation. Yeah. 
and 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 that is fanatical. That that is not something that we would stand for. Um, small little religious influences make their way into government all the time, as we've seen. But when somebody steps that far overboard, they're considered fanatics, and they are ostracized, much like she was, mm-hmm. and kicked out of a position of power. And they would prefer her to be away from their own people so that she doesn't gain a following. So what do they do? They put, send her to, they're like, yeah, we want you on Babylon 5. Go, go over there with the humans. Yeah. So Alice, do our episode ratings. Want to start us off? Okay. Um, what am I going to rate this? Jeez. It, it, it's <laughs> not the most entertaining episode. It's got some really great scenes. But it's a building block episode, I feel. Um, so I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it. Uh, I don't know, six point five or a seven out of ten. Uh, Lego bricks. Because the building block. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great match. It's a small me. building block. block <laughs> okay, Duplos. Yeah. Duplo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you, Heidi? Um, if it was just the first. Uh, what forty minutes of the episode? <laughs> um, yeah. it would probably be a five. Like it's not terrible, but it's not really that great. It's just kind of middle ground. But that last part brings it up some. Um, I'm gonna have to go with a six point five trapdoor spiders. <laughs> oh, that was gonna be That's nice. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. I have the same exact like thought process. You know, it was going to be a five, but then the last scene and maybe like the dream scene kind of bring it up a little bit for me. Um, so I'm going to have to give it six conspiracy pajama parties in Sheridan's quarters. <laughs> <laughs> that was cute. All the PJs. <laughs> I, I love the metaphor he gave that this is building block and it really is it, it's it got some important stuff in here and the Delenn storyline I, I always like to see progression on that uh, the Sheridan one mostly forgettable apart from a couple of key points and those are mostly towards the end as we've all said and as a result it's got to be 6.5 worker casts out of 10, although that really should be 9, but who cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was the last five minutes. Well, I did kind of like some of the stuff with the win and the dream sequence was uh, trippy. Yeah, but, yeah, if only the entire episode could have been as great as the last five minutes. So I'll give it a 7 out of 10 Grey Council spotlights. <laughs> You know, that should be nice as well. <laughs> well, no, it is 10 because you've got the one in the center. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so that's our total score is a 6.6? Yeah, it will do. Wow. All right. So let's hop in a trap door and see if it takes us <laughs> to feedback. <laughs> our first piece of feedback is, whoa, my headphones, okay. Our first piece of feedback is a comment from Board 99. Board says, Okay, in defense of Keffer, here's the thing. At this point, when I first watched, I didn't know that Keffer hadn't been in the first season. 
I also didn't know that JMS hadn't wanted to add him, didn't like the character, and didn't like that entire type of character. All I knew was two things. One, Kefra was in the credits and therefore presumably important. Other characters in the credits had also hardly appeared for me. The luck of repeats meant that I had missed all of the big season two Talia episodes, for instance. Will, I imagine, will feel that this explains how I became hooked on the show. <laughs> Probably. I assume that there was a background of Kefra-centered episodes that I simply hadn't seen. Two, Kefra was a little different from the other humans. He was younger, for one thing, and more normal, more of an everyman. Kefra seemed perfectly adequate at his job, but he wasn't presented as an exceptional, exceptionally capable pilot or an outstanding officer like Sheridan or Ivanova. Ridiculously good-looking, admittedly, but this was television. Kefra, in fact, was for me the human counterpart to Lanier and Veer. This seemed like a deliberate storytelling choice and not a bad one. Kefra would be the character where we saw how extraordinary events might affect a comparatively ordinary person. Obviously, I now know that this was all accidental, but I still think that there is a gap for a Kefra-like character. Now, I would still maintain that Kefra is no more boring than Sheridan at this well, point. Well, we've actually said, yes, there was a gap, which should have been filled by Clarence. <laughs> And Kefir isn't boring, he's just annoying. <laughs> um, Board goes on to say, which brings me to All Alone in the Night. Basically, it's Sheridan as heroic space captain again. At the end, one is supposed to think that no one would suspect that he was a man of principle who would follow his convictions rather than authority. And honestly, I find this hopelessly unconvincing. The saving grace is, though, Box Leitner is good at playing a straightforward hero who does what's right without hesitation or complexity. When he says in this episode that the first duty of a prisoner is to escape, you know that he means it utterly and sincerely without the tiniest of doubts. Fox Lightner should have played Superman. Ooh. Thanks, Ford. Thanks, Ford. Cheers, Ford. I'm just trying to picture that now. <laughs> and... Our next piece of feedback is from Victor, who wants to take Victor's email. Okay. This episode had a couple of storylines, but I didn't find either one compelling. Delenn's future was uncertain, and she returns to Membar, only to be removed from the Grey Council. But she remains the ambassador to Babylon 5, so the show will go on. Sheridan's story seemed really far-fetched to me. The captain seemed to have a case of space fever and needs to get back in the cockpit. When he says those famous last words, what could go wrong? My episode rating started dropping. That's almost as bad as a redneck saying, hey, Bubba, what's this? <laughs> I love hearing Ian read redneck. <laughs> I can't do accents. I cannot do accents. I <laughs> Sorry, sorry, guys. I'm awful. No, that's funny. I could try it no, again. No, it's just, it's no, it's I, not the. It's hearing it in your accent. Yeah, yeah. Doing redneck. I mean, it's just, it's just great, Ian. I love it. I can just about do Babylon Five impressions occasionally, and that's the extent of my accent ability. <laughs> Believe me, I can't do them either. I can't either. I was involved in an episode trying to help a Brit learn to do an American accent, and it was horrible. <laughs> Is that um, All Alone on the Night Bus? All Aboard the Night Bus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been meaning to listen to that. 
Oh. Rosie really wanted to be able to say the intro lines in an American accent, and Heath and I tried to to coach her. Yeah. And it just it was it was so bad, and then <laughs> and then we each tried our hand at her accent, and it was equally laughable. So. <laughs> oh well, get back to Victor's uh, feedback because he goes on to say, I immediately feel, yeah, it is immediately. I immediately feel like I'm watching an episode of Star Trek with Kirk risking his life on a pilot's mission for no good reason and end up in a hand-to-hand combat with a giant lizard alien. (laughs) Somewhere along the way, there was a strange interlude that made me think I was watching an episode of Twin Peaks. (laughs) Even Kosh was there, but he didn't make any sense either. Bad example, Kosh. Never makes any sense anyway. (laughs) My favourite part of this episode was when we found out that Mars is a good cause field of Major League Baseball. Because of the low gravity, it's a pitcher's nightmare. But after 40 forgettable minutes, the last five minutes gave us some story arc. The meeting of Sheridan and General Haig fills fills us in on the machinations of Earth's government. For Sheridan and the B-5 command staff, being loyal to Earth and being loyal to the government of Earth may not be the same thing. Ivanova may be right about the cycle after all. Overall, I'll give this episode 7 conveniently placed escape plots out of 10. Regards, Victor. Thanks, Victor. Cheers. Thank you, Victor. Our next email is from Lori. Who wants to take that one? I can take it. Okay. <laughs> um, hello, ambassadors, commanders, and visitors to the station. There was This was an unusual episode overall. It was not a favorite of either mine or Carl's for the most part, but had some extraordinary revelations that brought it up and made it important. One, Naroon has replaced Delenn on the Grey Council, giving the Warrior Clan a majority on the Council. Why did this happen, and what will be the consequence? Predictions. We'll get there, Lori. Um, Two, Sheridan has been under secret orders the entire time since his appointment, and we get confirmation as to how we veterans knew he was appointed by Santiago. I'm curious to see if the ambassadors were surprised or felt that their suspicions had been confirmed. Carl was not surprised. He had suspected something was up. Of course Carl did. Of course he did. (laughs) He sees conspiracies everywhere. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Three, the dream sequence. Note, we went back and watched it multiple times. For this, I am only going to give you Carl's thoughts. Ivanova with the Black Crow, perhaps a foreshadowing that she will go dark or evil, or already is. Sheridan looking up at himself, the other self seems different, older or harsher. Assuming that Garibaldi is with a dove, he is on the side of the light. Him saying, the man in between in searching for you. Possible meanings, gray is in between, could this mean the gray council? Alternately, shadows are in between the light and the dark, could it mean Morden or the shadows? Wow. Dear Lord, Carl, you're amazing. Yeah. We'll just let you analyze the dream sequences and go with what you say. I will agree with Carl. Yes. Um, I'm happy with that. (laughs) Next time you ask me a question, Ian, I'm just going to say, I agree with Carl. (laughs) (laughs) 
Woman in the veil. Who is it? Is it someone we have seen before? She appears to be in mourning. Seems to be foreshadowing a death. Kosh's appearance in the dream and afterwards seemed to imply that it was not just a dream, that Kosh was somehow actually in his mind. All of this implies that Kosh and or Vorlons are very powerful, even more so than we thought. Related question. Do Vorlons have the power to appear and disappear without jump gates like the shadow ships? Hmm. Ratings. Carl. Alien. Kosh. He's back. <laughs> Human. Tech 2. That's Clarence, Carl. Get his name up, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Clarence oh, is Tech 1 now. Well, we'll up to tech yeah. One. yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, his rating is 6 out of 10. The gladiator tropes. The dream sequence and reveals brought it up by one and a half points. Lori's alien is Kosh. Human is Sheridan for having to endure the really bad alien ship set. <laughs> and a, the cling film. Don't forget the cling film. Yeah, that. And a 6.5 out of 10 low-budget stripe costumes. Thank you, Laurie and Carl. Thanks, and Carl. Cheers. Always love it. Okay, our next email is from Anka. Okay. This week's episode is a mix of the typically alien of the week meets main character and a little bit of arc story. At times, the arc-heavy parts of this episode tend to stand too much in the background because of the unknown alien kidnaps and tortures Sheridan part. Still, I kind of enjoyed the space battles and fights and Sheridan and the Narn trying to escape. The story around Delenn's change takes a very big step. We learn that the Grey Council doesn't approve of her change. Well, who would have thought? <laughs> she appears alien to them, and they call her in to tell her that she is fired. Done and done. Nobody wants to even speak with her. Seeing her standing in the only light circle left, and then her still arguing strong for staying on Babylon 5, shows that she, completely alienated from her people and their beliefs, still tries to go through with whatever she believes is right. As a fanatic would, I guess. Yeah. The ruins monologue goes... Huh? Two points of view there. Right, yeah. Uh, Naroon's monologue goes deep. I just love him in this scene. And his, with his bad guy attitude, he still gets a point across. Delenn may not be right with her interpretation of the prophecies in the end, and she has gone through this change without anyone's okay. We also learn a bit about the Great Council, the nine that stand between the darkness and the light. And now four of the warrior casts are among them, which shakes the balance of forces massively. I am excited to hear what the newbies will think about the Great Council. Okay, and is anyone else wondering what happened to Lanier? He started appearing more like a serious person next to Delenn that helps her through a hard time, saying the right things with a small, naive smile. The last thing I remember is him asking, a bit embarrassed, if styling your hair hurts. <laughs> <laughs> On another side note, a very relaxed-seeming General Haig shows up and has a little device with him that gives them a bit more privacy when discussing Santiago's death and any conspiracy within Earth Force. Finally, they don't have to do that on the loo anymore. <laughs> 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 and of course all of them are in, are in when it comes to for not staying strictly within the law but figuring out this conspiracy yeah right as Sheridan said as Sheridan said it what could go wrong and now we know why somebody like Sheridan was appointed to Babylon 5 by Santiago and left there by Clark that was discussed already during earlier podcasts and I remember you guys couldn't come up with an explanation now we know Clark pretty much thinks Sheridan is the right man if Clark would just have a clue of Sheridan's real character, and not just his resume, he would not keep him in this position. Okay, one thing that bugged me a little was Ivanova ordering to destroy the ship after all the prisoners were spaced. Well, the captain is dead, let's shoot him to hell. 
A little easy on the trigger with that fury of yours, Commander Ivanova, hey? Sheridan could have been still in the ship on his way to the escape pod. But no, he is safe and sound and sending SOS signals. That could have gone easily wrong for the captain with a commander like Ivanova. Well, thank you very much, Anka. Much appreciated. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I guess that's true. I didn't think of it that way. Uh, last email is from Yan. It says, hello, fellow lurkers in Down Below. Here's a bit of feedback for Season 2, Episode 11, All Alone in the Night. I'm away from my usual place, and it will be a bit shorter than normal. No time to watch the episode, so all is from memory. Sheridan is abducted by an unknown alien race and forced to fight a Narn. Of course, he does not want that, and they succeed in escaping before being spaced. That was a chilling scene, the aliens spacing all the prisoners. Agreed. You may already know that the actor playing the Narn with no name is Marshall Teague, who also played the assistant turning into a killing machine in the first season episode, Infection. And what did you make of Sheridan's dream? More cryptic kosh, eh? Delenn is going to the Great Council in order to be judged. Ah, the consequences of her decision to do the transformation. She is no longer a member of the Council and is shocked to see that her replacement is Naroon. The balance of power is now changed in favor of the warrior caste. That does not bode well, does it? The two threads grow together when it turns out that Delenn knows about the aliens and goes with General Haig. The name sounds familiar, does it not? the Earth Alliance ship to find Sheridan. So, dear ambassadors, I think the title of this episode makes sense to you, doesn't it? Well, it usually does after. <laughs> Sometimes not, Fav- that, that purple thing is still... <laughs> so, do you want us to move all our predictions to the front of every episode review rather than, you know, <laughs> so you can pre- do all your predictions about the next episode after you've seen it? After we've seen it, yeah. Yeah, that would help. <laughs> Favorites, quote, Sheridan, why am I here? Kosh, you have always been here. Human, Sheridan, alien, I'm torn between Delin and the Narn with no name, but I think I'll go with the Narn, no name. Mm. Episode rating, I quite like this episode. It moves the main story forward and has some good interaction with Sheridan and the Narn. I'll give this episode 8 out of 10 spaced prisoners. That's because you haven't seen it in a while, Yan, and you only <laughs> remember the good parts. Not the boring yeah. part. <laughs> and with this, watch out for the coming of shadows, Yan the Babylon Lurker. And thanks for giving us a great B-movie from the future, The Narn with No Name. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you'd like to send us feedback, send that over to mail at downbelowpodcast.com or leave a comment on downbelowpodcast.com or go to our Facebook group and leave a comment. And if you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Well, Elizabeth had to step out, but we're going to do episode predictions with Heidi. You ready, Heidi? I'm ready. The name of the next episode is Acts of ACTS, Acts of Sacrifice. Mm. (laughs) Another episode title? That's hard to predict. Well, it is because it could... I mean, you could basically make predictions based on if this sacrifice is done by any of the main characters, you know what I mean? Um, so I guess first I, first I would choose which character I think will make a sacrifice, although it is acts, plural, right? So, so there could be like an A and B story where there are sacrifices being made by multiple characters. Um, 
So this one was more heavily Jalen on the alien front. I think maybe we'll go back to um, some Londo and Jakar, because I don't think Kosh is going to sacrifice anything, really. Um, so let's, let's go with Jakar makes the sacrifice, because Londo doesn't seem to be sacrificing much lately that is of any consequence to him, <laughs> only of consequence to others. Um, and as far as humans go, I wonder if we will move forward so quickly from this whole conversation at the end. I would like to think so, because we only got a little piece of it there. So, yeah, I'm going to say that our, our main humans, um, we're going to get to see some working of them behind the scenes to whatever Sheridan is now going to have them do. And maybe there will be a sacrifice there as well. And some overall predictions. Everyone is very interested in what we think of the Grey Council and what is going on there, so I guess I'll start there. Um, I think that with the Warrior cast taking control, that the Mimbari are going to get involved in this whole thing with the Centauri and the Narn. I don't think they're going to stay neutral in this. Um, and with Delenn still being the ambassador to Babylon 5, I think that the Grey Council thinks they will get information from her, but she will no longer have their support. So if she has a problem, she can't call them in anymore and say, okay, we've got to fix this. Um, and so that will lead her to turn more to her human friends, I guess, um, counterparts on, on Babylon 5, because being partially human now, she also feels a connection there. And she's not obligated to the Great Council and all of her duties there. So I think we predicted a long time ago that, um, that she would be on the side of the humans in whatever coming battle is happening, and I think we're just moving more towards that with this. And I have no predictions about Kosh, because he is cryptic, and I <laughs> cannot predict anything regarding him. Or the dream sequence. I agree with Carl. Right. Yeah, I agree with Carl. That's where, that's where I'm going with that. Um, <laughs> there was plenty of other stuff in the dream sequence aside from Kosh, though. Yes, there was. I agree with Carl. Everything he said. <laughs> the dove and the, and the crow or the raven or whatever the blackbird was. Um... <laughs> Yeah, you didn't I, say anything about um, Sheridan being in a psychop uniform, though. So you've got to go out on your own there. Uh, hmm. I think he was feeling guilty that he was um, spider spying on his uh, his friends on B5. And he is suspicious of Psychor and... Um, thinks they're involved in this whole overall thing and so he was putting himself in the uh, attire of the enemy. I like how we have space spiders and now spider spies. Oh my goodness. Yep. Spiders everywhere. <laughs> and who is this man in between? Or is there a man in between? It's the cheese man. <laughs> <laughs> I love the conviction with uh, that Heidi says that with. She's just like, 
It's the cheese man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no question. Of course it is. Awesome. I'm very sure of myself when I'm making completely so focused predictions. Right now, trying to drawing draw line between different TV series. I'm now thinking that the cheese man is actually Mulder's genie. <laughs> My. <laughs> wow. Bring it How all dare you besmirch the cheese man like that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright. <laughs> we'll have to get Elizabeth's predictions on all this next week in addition to everything else. Yes, because she doesn't get she doesn't get off the hook here. <laughs> oh no she doesn't. Alright, well Nuchas, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Uh this yeah. was a blast as always. Yeah, it's great so having fun. you on board. This is this is a great intercast. Um I, I know I'm I've said it before, but uh, a lot of times you listen to Intercast and people are not so keen on the show, and that's yeah. very different here, and I love it. Yeah, we've been so been different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I not... as a as a newbie, I'm glad I'm enjoying it because, quite frankly, I wouldn't want to be talking about a show for two hours every week if I was <laughs> hating it. Well, like even <laughs> even some really good shows, like I remember Heath and Angela were really slow to get the concept of Red Dwarf, and once they got it, like they're true Red Dwarf fans now. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of difficult because they were trying to make sense of comedy, and it just I was like, no, it's just funny. Move on. <laughs> and, yeah, that's, and that's also part of the problem. You delve too deep sometimes. Yeah, and and well, and I think that they were they were trying to dissect it the way that you know most intercasts do, um, but but you guys have just been having fun with it, and I I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that B five is a really good show, and it yeah I think it's st- even you know people will make comments about the cheesy graphics and stuff, but it stands the test of time, and it's one of the first shows that had a story laid out for it. And it wasn't just, oh, we got another season, let's come up with new material. Mm-hmm. It really works for the intracast format because yeah. experienced viewers can bring new ones in and just guide them into everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, and there, I mean, obviously there is an overall story, which yeah. helps because we're not just picking up on things that are never going to show up again, which, I mean, maybe some of the things we pick up on are never going to show up again. But at least we know that there is stuff coming that was planned out from the beginning. Right. And and, and all of the all of Chekhov's guns are being used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And new ones are being loaded all the time. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so it's, this is fun. Yeah. yeah, we've also been really lucky with our listeners. We've had some great listeners and some great people sending in feedback. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, Babylon Five fans are very invested. Oh yeah, it's 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 a good franchise. Um, I wonder what it would have been like had I watched it live. But for me, it was opposite Deep Space Nine, and there was just nothing pulling me away from Star Trek. So, Nuchas, remind us where we can find you out there. Internet world. Um, you can find me at nimlas.org and at nimlas.org where you can find my podcast, the Nutty Bites podcast, where we debate geeky topics and highlight what is awesome in geeky culture. Um, you can also find links to some of the other podcasts I'm on, including Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast, which is a spoiler free podcast 
um, and it follows the series A Game of Thrones. You can find links to Epic, which is another geek culture podcast. Run for Your Life, which is a rock rockabilly? No, not rockabilly. Psychobilly. There we go. I'm like, I couldn't remember the genre. Psychobilly music podcast. And uh, you can find links to all the shows that I have been guesting on. I've been uh, creating blog posts every time I guest somewhere. So uh, if you want to find some other really cool podcasts, every podcast I guest on is really awesome. I don't guest on bad ones. <laughs> yeah, we, we're so lucky to get guests like you on our show. <laughs> well, I've been on Heidi's other show, um, and I don't... I don't think either of you have other shows, but there you go. Oh, I do, actually. It's something I should have been plugging the past few couple of months, but I've started a new podcast up myself. What do you, which, what, which podcast? I'm actually doing a Doctor Who podcast. Ooh. Nice. It's called, yeah, it's called The Web of Queer, and it's taking a look at Doctor Who from LGBTQ point of view, you know, gay, lesbians... By transgender and all that sort of point of view. That sounds very interesting. I will have to check that out. Um, Lynette McFadden has a podcast called The Bycast, and they did a whole episode where they talked about LGBTQ characters in, uh, you know, t- science fiction and TV and all of that, and they devoted a whole section to Doctor Who. So I, that sounds really interesting. I would yeah, we- have to check that out. We've been going since the start of the new series, basically. We thought it's a good time to start up the show. We we kind of try and split our shows up at the moment between a new episode review and then alternate between a subject discussion on some matter within the show or a review of an old series uh, story. So do you guys spoil the Capaldi uh, um, we review up to and including a current episode, okay. and we try and say spoiler-free on anything classic, but new hit series stuff we, you know, we we spoil up to and including the current episode. Okay, I'm I'm still very that. behind. Um, I haven't watched any of the Capaldi, so I, I need to catch up on that first. I actually just did two episodes about Doctor Who on Epic. And I kept saying, no Capaldi, no Capaldi, it's not six months yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> My what I advise bad. is stay clear of anything Doctor related at the moment. This yeah, week's episode, much. something big has happened, and I, you need I've to seen stay that. away from it. Everybody is commenting, oh my god, Doctor Who, and I'm like, Doctor Who, I'm not, um, nope, nope, can't look at it, can't look at it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw it late last night, and I was like, man, I'm glad nobody told me what happened. Yeah. Keeping spoiler free is an effort when you're on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, definitely. Cool. So that that sounds exciting. So I, I'm sure I'll listen to that in six months. Yeah, there's um, <laughs> there's four or five of us on the show, depending on who's free. Um, three of us are from the UK, and we've got an American and a Canadian on board as well. Fantastic. I'm on intro to Briscoe, which is about the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. We'll be wrapping up soon. And after that, I'm crazy enough to start another intro cast. It's going to be about Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Which is I'm a... so excited. I'm <laughs> yes. so excited as well. It's a fantastic series. 
And if you haven't seen it, you really need to tune in to yes. Real Show because you're going to guide them through on a brilliant journey. That's... I think I watched the first two seasons or the first season and a half. And it was one of those shows where I'm like, all right, that's it. I'm done with this show. And then the last five minutes would make me go, all right, now i got to watch the next episode. <laughs> so I was constantly on the verge of dropping it. But it was like one of the last live TV shows that I watched. All right, that's all we have this week, folks. We'll be back next time with Acts of Sacrifice. And until then, goodbye. Bye. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast. 